You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. All right. Hey, well, good morning, Anthem Church. How are we doing? Doing all right? Yeah, we are starting our new series in Titus today. So if you have your Bibles, you can begin to open them up there. Um, but before we get uh, into studying kind of our new book, uh, Titus, I want to invite some friends up to the stage. And so, Austin, Lauren, uh, if you guys would want to come up. So, yeah. So, if you're not clapping, it's just because you don't know uh, who this is. And so, this is Austin and Lauren. They were a part of our original team that came down here to get Anthem started. And they were the first couple that we kind of commissioned uh, to go overseas and do some long-term work over there. And so... Um, here at Anthem Church, we don't want to measure success by seating capacity, but by sending capacity. Meaning we want to make disciples that make disciples and, and send people overseas to tell them about Jesus. And that certainly includes the nations, places where the name of Jesus just is not spoken. And so here we have one of those couples uh, that we have commissioned to go and do that work. And so just want to give them the opportunity, since they're back stateside, to just give you an update on what's been going on. And so, yeah. All right. Um, we have a little video that'll kind of play in the background as we're talking. We'll see if we can get it up and going. Perfect. So this is just uh, a glimpse into what our city looks like, some, some different shots. Because um, a lot of people, when they hear, they think that's probably some tribal jungle. But really, we live in a big city uh, of 8 million people. And there are three major people groups that are spread throughout the city. Uh, and then in our little area specifically, we have a lot of Middle Eastern people as well. And so as you're looking at this video, uh, you can see some of the glimpses into this Buddhist temple. You can see mosques that are spread throughout our city. Um, I think we have a picture of some Bachu. It's called the This is a Hindu worship place. And, and you can just see this lostness throughout our city uh, where there are, amongst the people that are native to that, that land, there are 200 known believers. And so as we've gone overseas together uh, with a team, we uh, are seeing God just start, start the beginnings of a movement over there. And so we are um, excited about what's, what God is doing. I just want to share a couple stories with you guys. Uh, one is about uh, two guys that um, I met. I met the first one on campus, uh, I'm taking some master's classes as a way to fulfill my visa requirement, uh, but also get in the mix with some of the people we're trying to minister to. <laughs> See you, buddy. <laughs> uh, that's, that's Grayson. Um, he's our year and a half old son. That's a great conversation starter overseas as well. Um, but anyway, is someone I met on campus, and we got to talking and just about some of the differences. And, being a Muslim culture, spiritual conversation is, is not a challenge to get into. You hear five calls to prayer a day. You, on Fridays, everything shuts down during prayer time. Uh, this last month, we've been having a holiday called Ramadan. And uh, so I got together with these guys during Ramadan, and, and he, brought, he had brought a friend to a previous conversation, and we got to talking. We were breaking fast together uh, as they once the sun had set, and uh, we got to talking about, okay, what's some of the, the background behind this holiday, and, and why do you do the things that you do? And a lot of it came down to the duty that they had. And so 
if you're not familiar with Islam, there's, there's a lot of uh, foundation that is somewhat similar, uh, where God is a creator. They have a lot of the same stories about the Old Testament, but everything changes when you get to Jesus. And so as we were talking, I was trying to bring that out for them. And this guy says, it seems like the difference between what you believe and what I believe is comes down to the person of Jesus. I said, that's absolutely right. I said, I believe that Jesus is God, and you believe that he's just a prophet. And he said, whoa, 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 not just a prophet. He's a good prophet. I'm like, yeah, but if you're coming from my standpoint, you have to see that someone who is acknowledged as God, if he's merely a man, he's just a prophet. And he's like, okay, that's fair enough. I, I can understand that. And so we got into discussing, and this is just a week before we ended up coming back to the States. Um, ended up discussing what, how can we figure out who Jesus really was? And so I, I presented the, the idea of what if we look at some, some scholars, what they say about Jesus, historical data. What if we look at the Quran? The Quran actually has a pretty high view of who Jesus is, but he is not the son of God. And then I said, what if we look at the Bible? And he agreed. He said, I think that's a great idea. And so we are actually reading through the book of Mark together um, right now as, as we're back here texting each other questions and thoughts. And um, he's, he's wrestling with this, this idea that Jesus could actually be God. So that's, that's one guy. Another guy is, uh, his name is, he is uh, a first-year student at a university, and he's from Indonesia, and total godsend to meet this guy in November. Um, as I, I met him with one of his Buddhist friends and one of his, his Muslim friends, he's actually a, a believer. His dad is a pastor in Indonesia doing like-minded work, trying to start churches amongst the unreached. And he came to to study, but had really no plan as to how he was going to continue to grow in his faith. And so I, I got another uh, time with, with and I said, hey, what, what's your plan? Like, how, how are you going to continue to grow here? Because I'm new here. I don't have a lot of friends, but I would love to, to be growing as well. Um, was that something that you would be interested in doing together? And he said, yeah, well, since I've been here, I haven't really read my Bible. That's one way I think I could grow over, over this holiday break that he had coming up. And, and since that day, we started reading in John, and we actually just finished Revelation yesterday. Um, and he's been reading a chapter a day every day since then. And so uh, praying for, for he would be raised up into someone who would be a leader within the church that we're asking God to provide and, and start uh, either this fall or this winter. Uh, even though we don't have those holidays or those seasons in Malaysia, it's all hot. Uh, but we mark them by the same in our minds. Um, so, yeah, we're praying that God would, would start a church in this area where there are no gospel-centered churches. And so uh, those are a couple stories that kind of just show uh, a little bit of what we're seeing and interacting with um, in, on a day-to-day basis and, and a couple ways that you can be praying with us of um, – the soil is, is pretty hard. It's a very religious soil amongst those different places. And so praying that God would change hearts and, and move people from lostness into the light. And then praying for uh, people to be developed into leaders that would be able to um, 
multiply and see other people come to know Jesus and eventually become a locally led uh, church in that place. So. And you guys have a number of our students that have gone overseas, and you've got a number of like short-term teams that are coming, and their role is to yeah. do what? Yeah, so we have uh, 37 students from the, the SALT network, uh, six of them being from Anthem. They actually just went over this past week, um, so we didn't get to, to see them there, but we'll be headed back here in a couple weeks, and we'll get to interact with them then. But we're asking them to meet as many people and share with as many people as they can. Um, so we're, we're so grateful for the short-term teams that come over as um, we, we as a staff. There, so there's five of us that are full-time kind of working with college students over there. And in our nine months of transition and getting on, the, on campuses to interact with people, we, we kind of counted that we've been able to have spiritual conversation on campus with 700 people. And these 37 students in their two months overseas will probably be able to minimally match that, if not forego that total of people. And so we're, we're thinking of that in, okay, they're, they're going to do a year's worth of ministry on our behalf, sewing, meeting, and kind of sifting through people who might be spiritually interested. And so pray for those teams. I, I know that you guys are, have commissioned them out. And so join with us in praying for those teams and the conversations that they're having, the hearts of the people that they'll be interacting with. Yeah. So you understand that, right? That, that our students, uh, the 30, part of the 37 students that are going to be there are going to make these contacts and then we hand them off to the workers that, that live there long term. And so it's just such a, like a mutually beneficial kind of relationship. Can I share one more story? Oh yeah, you can. So last summer there were a, just a few teams over there and there's one girl whose name is got passed on uh, from one of those summer teams. And uh, for the last nine months, two of our girls on our team have been consistently, faithfully walking through the Bible with this gal each week. And they've had ups and downs to that, um, times where they've had hard conversations and then she's canceled the next week. Um, but right as Lauren and I landed back in the States, we got a text from those two girls and they said, hey, we just wanted to update you. Approva has told us that she wants to follow Jesus. Um, she feels distant from him, but she's committed to trying to follow. Um, so that is just one example of how those short-term teams are uh, sifting through and feeding into what we're doing in the long term. So, Yeah, that's awesome. So you mentioned some prayer requests. I'm going to invite Todd Van Voors. He's one of our elders here uh, at Anthem Church. But, but at... Uh, Austin and Lauren were some of the first we sent out. Uh, since then, we had another couple go out recently. Um, and then we had one of our members uh, marry a long-term worker overseas and go. We've sent, I think Luke was telling me, a total in the life of our church, about 44 in the first two and a half years, some short-term, some long-term. Um, but it's our desire to see more people raised up and to be sent out. And in fact, as we started thinking there are a number of people sitting here that are thinking long-term work, and I'm going to ask you to do something. And this is not a commitment uh, that you got to buy a plane ticket this afternoon, but if you're one of those people that is thinking about long-term work, going to places where the name of Jesus just isn't spoken, 
and is just not heard. If you're one of those, would you please stand up as well so that when Todd prays, he can pray for, for you as well. So if you're thinking long-term and you're, you're genuinely praying through that, would you go ahead and stand up now? If you... That is awesome. Okay, so, uh, so church, you understand, we've got something to pray about, right? <laughs> that God would do this again and again. And so if you would, let's just pray with Todd. Uh, Heavenly Father, in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, before you commissioned your apostles to go out and spread the good news to the world, you preceded that by saying that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to me, therefore go. And so we want to go, Lord, because there is not a single inch of this whole world, of, of our calendars, of our checkbooks, of our hearts, of the world at large. There's not a geographical inch of this entire world over which you do not declare in loud voice, mine. Mm-hmm. It is yours, Jesus, and you have sent us saying, go to what's already mine and tell them who I am. Mm. And so you've put us on mission. So we go with confident optimism, expecting to see you reclaiming those who are yours and a world which is yours. And so we go uh, the way that you were sent. You left the comfort of heaven to come to an uncomfortable world to bring comfort to the lost. And today, Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate the fulfillment of your promise. You sent the comforter to come and be a better presence than just your physical president presence limited to a geographical space and a man walking around a small chunk of real estate in the Middle East. You sent your Holy Spirit to indwell all of us, mm-hmm. to comfort us on a daily basis so that we might go out and be comforters to the world around us. So we mm-hmm. go with that confidence, knowing that everything we go to is already yours, and we go with the power and the grace of your Holy Spirit helping us every, every inch of the way. So we love you, God. Help us to go. Help us to go to uncomfortable places and be comforted in the process and comfort many who are, who are lost and hurting now. It's in your name we pray and for your glory we do all this. Amen. Amen. You guys just want to show some appreciation? So thank you, guys. Love it. And so uh, if you didn't catch the memo, post-service, we're going to have a little potluck. And so you all brought some good food. And so it's just an opportunity to interact with the, uh, uh, Austin and Lauren uh, as well as just enjoy some good food. And so, uh, But we are in Titus, and so you guys uh, hopefully had some time to get there. Uh, just super uh, excited to begin this book. Um, and we are going to be introduced to the theme, which you saw maybe on the video, is this idea that saved and sound. It's a play on safe and sound. And so it's a phrase you use like in these spring storms when you're watching them uh, from, you know, inside the, the, the safety of your, your house. You're like, oh, in here I'm, I'm safe and sound. Uh, I'll tell you what is not safe and sound is teenage drivers, all right? <laughs> uh, no, seriously, I grew up, and my dad, he knew that growing up, so we only owned salvage title vehicles, things that have been wrecked before, welded back together. And he's like, here, this is what you get to drive. I mean, we were not that great of drivers. In fact, in our family, there was one evening where we hit multiple deer as a family. Uh, there was, you know, we ran into some vehicles. I may have even hit uh, my high school with my car one time. I've never confessed that out loud, but the school was fine. The car, not as much, but... Uh, but not that great. And I think it's hereditary because our whole family is pretty terrible drivers. And so I have an older sister. She's about three years older than me. And she, uh, of course, she got her license first. And so there's that point when you're in junior high and she's driving and you have a decision to make where it's like, 
do I get on the bus with, with Bill Kunichek, our bus driver, and ride an hour and a half, because we're the second to last stop, do I, do I do that, spend an hour and a half on the bus, or do I risk it and ride with my sister the 18 minutes home where we might die? <laughs> and like those, it was a real decision that I had to make on a regular basis. And, and, and I just remember like she drove this 1980s like uh, Caprice Classic, you know what I'm talking about? It, it had like this green, brown color. It was affectionately called the booger. Um, and so I'm like, okay, me, you, the booger, let's do this. And so you strap it in and you have a distracted, this was even be, like cell phones at that time could only play like the snake game, but there was still just enough distractions for my sister where it was, I'm legitimately like terrifying. And you're like, you're overreacting. Okay. Y'all, she one time when filling up with gas, left the nozzle in the car and drove away. Rip the nozzle off, hose break. That's what she could do with a parked car. Imagine when she puts it in drive, right? It was terrifying. And so you get there and you're going and it's, there's not this straight roads. We live in these hills, curves, and you get home and just dive out of the booger. And you're like, land, it doesn't move. It is safe. It is secure. It is not that. Okay, so safe and secure is not the booger. Safe and secure, and I, and I believe that, that we want this stability. Most people want safety, want security. It's not found in riding with teenage drivers. It's not found in finances. It's not found in our possessions or careers. But that safety, that security that we long for, that is wired in us, is found solely in Jesus. And so we are going to study that out. Paul introduces this theme immediately as we study uh, Titus. And so we're going to dive in. And we see that this is Paul writing. How do you know that? Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 4, To Titus, my, two, uh, my true child in common faith. And so it's Paul writing this to Titus. And so these are the, the characters we're introduced to. And the, the book takes Titus's name. He's the recipient of this letter. And so Paul was a, a Jewish leader who comes to meet Jesus on the road to Damascus. If you want to read that, Acts chapter 9 is where we see God just get a hold of Paul, who was formerly a persecutor of Christians. And so God gets a hold of Paul, and he just starts going everywhere, as Todd was praying, just every square inch. Paul just wants to go and tell people about Jesus, who met him on the road to Damascus. And along the way, Paul meets Titus. Now, Titus, unlike Paul, he's not of Jewish descent. He is a, a Greek, and he becomes somewhat of a poster child for the salvation, not only to the Jews, but to the Greeks. And so this was confounding to a lot of people because they're like, well, we know God's chosen people, the Jewish people, but God's willing to, to, to choose Gentile people as well, Greeks and Titus was a guy that like, yeah, look it. Although he wasn't circumcised in the flesh, this mark that he was a part of God's people, clearly God is in him and doing some things. And so he becomes this com traveling companion for Paul, kind of his wingman, and he just becomes this, this image of God wants to reach all people. And so here they are. 
ministering side by side. And one example we have of that comes from Corinthians, this place that was all sorts of messed up. Paul and Titus, they go and they spend a year and a half in Corinth just telling people about Jesus and getting a church established. But Paul, kind of true to his nature, he's a groundbreaker and he's like, okay, like there's still work to be done. I'm going to keep going to the next place. Titus, why don't you stay here and kind of make sure that things get put in order? And so in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 6, we see that Titus sticks around to kind of complete what was started. Here in our letter to Titus, yet again, the same thing has happened where God is doing a work through them in Crete, and Paul's like, I'm going to keep going. Titus, you stick around and you stay here to make sure, make sure the church kind of gets established. And so right away we see these unique roles by these, by these two. And so Paul is writing back to Titus, the recipient of the letter, and he's saying, here, here's some instructions for setting the church right. You need to know about church leadership, some doctrinal things, church order, guidelines for godly living. And so right away we see that's the nature of the relationship. But what you see in these characters, if you, you caught it in the introductory, is they're a little bit like differently gifted. Paul is typically the groundbreaker, the planter, and he's not unwilling to stick around. I mean, a year and a half in a city getting a church established, that's no small thing. But Paul typically is the one like wanting to pioneer new ground. He's saying, I don't want to build on somebody else's foundation. I'm going to go and I'm going to break ground. In fact, he would say in, in Corinthians, he's saying, I planted, Apollos was another guy that came along and watered, but, but God ultimately made it grow. And everyone has a role to play in discipleship. Which role is more important? Titus's role or Paul's role? Like the, the tilling up the ground or actually caring for the seed, watering it, fertilizing it, and seeing it grow. Paul would answer that. He's like, hey, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters their anything. God ultimately, ultimately makes all things grow. And so we're just doing our part, is what he's saying. To God be the glory. And so there's different parts. And so Titus kind of gets the part of like holding down the fort and, and just continuing to help things grow. And it's important. An illustration that I think Austin would appreciate is those that are going overseas. If you can imagine like a well, and I know we don't have like Timmy falling in a well anymore and Lassie running off to get people, right? We've gone beyond that. But if you can envision a well and somebody's in the bottom of the well, it's going to take two. It's going to take one person to say, hey, tie the rope on me. I'll go down and I'll get that person. But it also takes somebody holding the rope up top, right? Which is more valuable, the one going down or the one holding the rope? It's kind of a trick question. Like, you need them both, trust me. You need them both. You need somebody holding and someone going. And so, say all that to say, you need somebody being willing to be sent, and you need people to do the sending. And that's the partnership. And so everybody has a role to play. In fact, last week when Luke was talking about missions, it's either, hey, you're either a, a missionary or you're the mission field. Like everybody has a role to play, either in the actual going or helping those people go, or you're the one that they need to go to because you don't share the same mindset that God would have. 
And so here we have the relationship between these two. Paul is kind of the groundbreaker. Titus is the one stabilizing things. Now, he would have had his work cut out for him here in, in Crete. It's this island that sits kind of in the middle of the sea, and it would have been a, a trade route where people would have stopped off, and there's many different ports. And so typically like these port towns where a bunch of people are getting off of ships, not a whole lot of good things happen there. Like, for, for example, like Vegas out in the middle of a desert where there's a lot of gambling, a lot of everything else, it's like typically not known for great things. So it was with Crete. This is like basically Satan's playground, okay? They, it's, it's a pretty rough kind of deal, but God starts to do this work there, and, uh, and, and he starts to change some people. But, but in verse 12 of chapter 1, this is what Cretans would even say of themselves. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Their level of depravity was infamous. In fact, the word for liar was critizo, which was to be Cretan. <laughs> like, if you're a Cretan, you're just a liar. You're just a wicked person. And so they were so synonymous with lying and wickedness and deception that the word for that was Cretan. Does that make sense? And so that's who they're going to, but, but nonetheless, God is transforming hearts. And now some are in that culture, but they're seeking to follow Jesus. And Paul is, is, is thinking of them in verse 1 when he says this. He says, For the sake of faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life. What, what he's saying is, is he's writing this, and he has in mind God's elect, those that are, that are Christians. And his desire is that their knowledge of truth, this idea that they would know who God is, so he's writing to Christians, hoping that they would know God so that that would lead to obedience, i.e. godliness there at the end of verse 1. And that godliness all stems from this hope that there is life after life. So he's writing to them, thinking of them, I just want you to know God. And that knowledge would lead to obedience and just overflow in love. And it's all rooted in that we have hope. And so he goes on to say, though, in verse 2, a hope in eternal life, which God, who never, lied, who never lies, promised before the ages began, at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching in which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. Time out there. Do you understand? Look at in verse 2 where he says, uh, God, who never lies. And why does he highlight that? Like, that's an interesting thing, that he's, he's writing to Titus in Crete, and he's like, oh, God, who we trust in, by the way, he never lies. It's like, there's some context for that. You're right, because here in, in Crete, they would have been um, kind of following uh, Greek mythology. And so you think Greek mythology, you got Hermes, uh, Zeus, other Greek mythology people that I learned and I forget. You're like, so there would have been a gamut of them, but Zeus is like, Zeus is the, the main guy. Well, Cretans are like, he was born on our island. Like they laid claim that that, that is where Zeus was born. And so they are especially vested in, in Greek mythology and in Zeus. Now, the thing you need to understand about Zeus 
this little G God uh, of Greek mythology, he was not a stable individual. In fact, if you're thinking of Zeus, you probably conjures up images of him like with lightning bolts. Like he was quick-tempered. He was a womanizer, a liar, just unstable. And Paul is distinguishing. He's like, there is a difference between capital G, God who is, and your little G, God, Zeus. See, our God, <laughs> he never lies. He keeps his promise. He's introducing that right away to Titus and Crete where this letter would have been read. He's saying there's a difference between the God who is and your little G, God, Zeus. Unstable where God, he is consistent. He never lies. He keeps his promise. In him, we have security. He says in verse 2 that there's hope in him. Verse 4, there's peace in him. And again, that's the theme of what we're going to be studying throughout the summer, that security, stability, is found solely in Jesus. Now, I understand in our context, like, I can't even, like, name Greek mythology people. Not a whole lot of, like, Greek mythology places of worship around Columbia that I'm aware of. If you run with a different crowd and you know of those places, let me know. But, but that's something where it's like, wow, I can't believe that they would believe in a God like that. Why would they even want to follow a liar, womanizer? That's so distant. Wow, I can't wait to see what, what Paul has for them, but it's probably not for us. But here's the, the principle that kind of transfers. See, we long for stability. We long for security, but we look for it perhaps in other places other than Jesus. Well, what do you mean? Have you ever had this where you're frustrated at somebody and they don't even know it? Like they've disappointed you. In fact, perhaps it's you're even a little bit bitter towards them. You wanted them to notice something that was going on with you. You wanted them to reach out, pursue you, ask you some specific questions. Now, you never told them that or communicated. These are uncommunicated expectations. But nonetheless, have you found yourself ever in a spot where you're a little bit frustrated or a little bit embittered towards someone? And see, what we're communicating in that point is what we're saying is, hey, people should be like God in the sense that they should never let me down. And that person let me down, and now I am frustrated by that. And it's not only with, with people that we expect them to do what only God can do, because at the end of the day, what are we really communicating? We're like, I wanted you to read my mind, know exactly what I needed, and, and fulfill those desires. That's what happens when we have these uncommunicated expectations, but I won't throw you under the bus. I'll throw, I do that all the time. Like with my wife, it's like, what? You couldn't read my mind? You couldn't tell by the, my body posture exactly what I needed at that time? But we have these uncommunicated expectations and we, we expect people to meet needs that only God can meet. Not only do we do this with people, we do this with things too. You see it on social media. You can't make this stuff up. I just open it up, and, and then here's somebody's post about, like, a, a nail got in their tire. And it's just, I just can't believe that my car would run over a nail and my tire would be popped. This is just, what do you want from your car? Like, to all, we, I want my car to always work, to never break down 
to be secure, always there for me. It's like you're describing God, not a car. Cars break. That's just what they do. But we want things and we want people to provide the security, provide the comfort, provide for us in ways that only God can. And so when we adapt this mentality, we're looking for that in places that will never ultimately fulfill us. And so we get surprised when the baby cries all night. That's what babies do. But we have these expectations that fail us, that, that are never met. And while those things are good descriptors, are good expectations for God, they're terrible expectations to put in things and people. And it's not that your desire for security and peace is necessarily a bad thing, but it's just not found in those things. Another example is we do, oh, if I can just make it through this season. You ever said this? I can just make it through this season. There's a lot going on. And once I get through this season, then, then things are going to be under control. Y'all, how many times are we going to say that? Like there's, guess how seasons work? There's always another one, right? Things are always going to cost more than you thought. Seasons are always going to go longer and and the next one's going to be just as hard. Babies are going to cry. Cars are going to break. Houses are going to fall apart. And some of you are like, well, this is, that's disheartening. It's only disheartening if you have unrealistic expectations that these things would do what only God can do. Does that make sense? But when we, when we have realistic expectations that security, peace, comfort, hope is found in God and not in things, not in people, not in these specific circumstances, then like we can trust that our hope is found solely in Jesus. See, these circumstances, they're all, it's going to change. And if our hope is in, in those things like this working out like we anticipate, man, we're going to be all up and down. But when our hope is found in Jesus, now your car can just be a car and do what cars do. Work sometimes, and if you're a college student, work a lot less of the time than what you would think, right? Then you, when your hope is, is solely in Jesus, your spouse can just be your spouse. Your, your house can do what houses do. When, when our hope is in Jesus, these things can just be what they are, broken products of just a fallen world. I mean, right away in Genesis, we see that, that it's going to be thorns and thistles, that these things were never meant to fulfill us in ways that only God can fill. And so that's the reminder where he's saying your hope, your, your security needs to be solely in Jesus. And this is Paul writing, and, and the reason that is true, Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, as tomorrow. God is unchanging. His love for us is unconditional. So God is a constant. Your car, not so much. And so God can do what only God can do, and those things can't. And it's Our author, who in Acts chapter 16, he would be in prison. And I'll just read it out of Acts 16, 23 to 25. The crowd joined. This is after he healed a young gal who was possessed by a demon. The crowd turns on him, and they joined in attacking them. That's Paul and his followers. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. 
And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, Paul, our author, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. How's their situation? Not good, right? Did you catch it? Clothes literally ripped off, exposing their back, and then they get beaten with rods. That makes a nail in your, in your car tire, like puts it in perspective, right? What do you think they're doing? As they're jailed in these, uh, jailed and their feet are locked together in this inner cell, what do you think they're doing? Some of you know how this goes. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Their joy, their security, their hope was not in their situation, was not in circumstances. It's in the person of Jesus. That is available to us if we would just put our trust in Jesus, not in these things. And so you see here in the author, and he's reminding them, and saying, I don't even know necessarily what's going on in Crete. But I know this, if you have Jesus, you're good. And it's not to say that being in prison and being beaten, that's necessarily a good thing, but it's recognition that the hope, the joy we can have, and even in those situations. And so he's reminding them. And so we can't always choose what happens to us, but we can choose how we respond. And we can respond with right perspective that this isn't home. Heaven is. This isn't meant to to meet all of our our warm, fluffy feelings that we want. Everything's supposed to go our way. Again, recognize who it is we follow. Savior who was crucified, nailed to a cross. There's just this lie that floats around that says, hey, trust Jesus and everything's going to work out. You mean that Jesus who was crucified for doing good things? Being the son of God? And Jesus said, hey, don't be surprised when the world persecutes you. And so it's this trust, though, that we can have hope, in verse 2, hope that in eternal life, that we can have grace and peace because it's not in circumstances. It's found in Jesus. And so that is what he is reminding them. Moreover, when you adapt this mentality, when you have this, hey, my hope is in Jesus, not in how these circumstances works out, we're musing... Uh, in our teachers' meeting about this, when you adapt that mentality, you can rightly have a level of thankfulness as you go about your day. Because now all of a sudden, like, you put your key in your car, you turn it on, and it works, and the cold air conditioning starts blowing. You're like, I wasn't owed that. Praise God. Like, it works. Like, when you drop these expectations that things in a broken world are always just going to work out for you, now all of a sudden, you can have a level of of, of thankfulness when you go about things. And when things are dysfunctional, you say, that makes sense. I'm glad my hope wasn't in that. It's in Jesus. But, but it should bring about a spirit of thankfulness in us. When we lay aside these expectations, when we set aside that our hope and our joy is going to be found in these things working out as planned. And so some of you say, man, I struggle with, with encouragement or I struggle with being thankful. I struggle with that. I say, trace that back and say, are you expecting things to go a certain way? 
And again, it's not to say, church, that, that none of those things matter. So, you know, it's all right if, if somebody just wants to, you know, go and just break your stuff. Like, no, he's going to talk about that. He's like, there should be a right way to live. But even if you're persecuted, even if those things happen, your joy and your hope is not found in those things. It's found in Jesus. And what he's going to tell us is that same hope is available for us today. And for some, it starts with, you have to enter into a relationship with Jesus. Titus, I imagine there was a time where, where Titus is hearing a similar thing. And Titus says, yes, God, I want you to, to take my sins. And not only take my sins, but Lord, I surrender my whole life to you as well. And so it's this surrender saying, God, would you, would, you, would you take my brokenness? I trust Jesus and the forgiveness of sins because of what he's done on the cross. And I, I not only want you, Lord, to save me, but you're Lord. And you get to dictate, and even if that means calling me overseas, Lord, I surrender. For some, you have yet to surrender, and I would just invite you to do that this morning. That's the first thing, is commit to relationship. Now, some of you are like, I committed to the relationship, but things have gotten a little off in the process. That's why I love we get to celebrate communion, to realign our hearts. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And what we're remembering is that Jesus' body was broken. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. <laughs> he was hanging on a cross and looked out on the crowd, and I believe with us in mind, and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And for those that your trust is in Jesus, as we go and take communion, I just want to invite you, if there are ways that you have been expecting hope and joy to come from people and things of this world, that you would remember that our hope is in the finished work of Jesus. And that you would just, even before you do that, perhaps if there's brokenness with a spouse or brokenness with somebody here where you're like, I've been killing you in my heart. Can I just get right with you and ask for forgiveness? That you would do that before taking communion and surrendering those things. Because again, the security, the hope that we're longing for is not found in people, is not found in things, but it's found in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're celebrating this morning. And so I'm going to invite the band up. And as we take communion, I want to give you the opportunity to respond. And again, this is for those that would say their trust is in Jesus. If you have yet to accept Jesus, I'm going to be just kind of up over in the corner. I'd be happy to pray with you. Again, wanting to see the relationship start and our hope found in him alone. And so if you would, I'll just pray for us. Father, we do. We thank you that our security is not found in our situation, not found in these, these circumstances all working out, but our security and our hope is found in you. So Lord, would you forgive us for our attitudes where we look for it in other places, where we look for it in people? And God, would you just even conjure that up in our minds now so we can repent of that and rightly put our hope in you, rightly put our trust in you. And so God, would you, by your spirit, move in our hearts so we can rightly just put that before you and say, God, forgive us. 
Forgive us for looking for this hope somewhere other than you. And so, God, would you please move in our hearts right now? And we do, God, want to remember you. That you ultimately gave us hope by your death on the cross, forgiveness of our sins, but in your resurrection, that there is life after life. So God, we thank you that we can remember and celebrate with your body broken in the cup now. And so, God, please, would you, by your spirit, move through us individually and corporately this morning. 